Um, let's pray, and then we'll start. Um, Father, we thank you so much for your, thank you for your Torah, thank you for your word, thank you for allowing us to study, Lord, learning so that we can walk better with you, Lord, so we can walk closer to you, Lord, because that's the whole point. That's why we're here, so we can help somebody to know you more. Lord, show us how to help others to unravel confusion. Lord, as you show us how to unravel that confusion, Lord, and I thank you for everything you're going to do this morning, and I give you praise for it all in Yeshua's name. Amen. Um, oh, well, let's, let's say the blessing that's on the screen, if you would like to follow. Um, but it's Baruch Atah Adonai, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Ashir Kedeshano B'mitzvotah V'tivanyu La'asok V'devrai Torah. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us in his commandments and has commanded us to engross or immerse ourselves in the words of the Torah. Amen. Amen. And it is... I'm so grateful. It's a commandment. And sometimes when you say it's a commandment, that kind of scares some people, but not here. But it is a commandment to study the Torah. Because as we study the Torah, we change who we are. We change our, our very nature. So it's, it's that important to study. Um, something I started with here says, We have a great environment here at Congregation Beth Adonai because of Rabbi Scott, Rabbits and Judy, Rabbi Renee, Rabbits and Anna, um, they've created a culture that encourages discussion, thinking, and learning. And I think that's so important in any place you go into, even in your work. If it needs to be encouraged to be able to think, to be able to learn, to be able to figure things out. Because if not, you're kind of um, stuck. You're stuck into your same mode of thinking because none of us know it all. Does anybody think they know it all? Okay, no one knows it all. We're all in a state of learning. We're all in a state of getting somewhere. So, I, th I want to start with Genesis chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, you can follow. I want to turn pages. The sound of Bibles turning in the morning. It's a beautiful sound. Let's hear it. I hear the sound? Okay. I'm not crazy. All right, we're on Genesis chapter 3. And let, we'll let this be our, at least one of our foundations. Let's start reading at verse 6. And we all know the story. But we want to start here. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And if you think about, at least at that point, why are they hiding themselves? And I know there's a lot of discussion on that, but one thing I want to focus on, they were hiding themselves because they were kind of vulnerable. When I say vulnerable, they were maybe in a state of, I'm not sure what to do. I'm, I'm confused. And I think that's how, in a state that a lot of people are, a lot of us are in, it's a good place to be in, but the next thing is, what's our response to a, a state of being vulnerable? Can you think of times when you feel very vulnerable because you've maybe opened yourself up, which is good if you open yourself up to the right person, but you need to, it's okay to be vulnerable to God, 
But I think at this moment, they're very vulnerable. Let me keep reading. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? Well, God knew exactly where Adam was because he's God. That's not a question. But I don't think the question, matter of fact, I know, it wasn't a where art thou. It was a where are you in your mind? Where, where, is your, where are your thoughts right now? Because he knew where he was. That wasn't a question. And when we're vulnerable, that's what God is asking us. He's saying, where are you? What's going to be your next response? And he said, I, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid. I believe that's perfectly fine. I believe we need to be in a place to be able to be vulnerable before God, because that's what he wants. He says, because I was naked, and I hid myself. I, I believe that's perfectly fine. And he said, who told you that you were naked? That's one of my favorite questions in the scripture. Who told you that you were naked? It's like he didn't need to know he was naked because God had already given Adam and Eve so many different things. But let me keep going. It says, Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? Do you think God knew that? Yes, he knew that. It was another location question. It's almost like he's trying to get man to fess up. It's like, come on, dude. Go ahead and own where you are. It's like you got to own you. It's like, come on, let's go. And the man, and think about when we do this with our children. Okay, for those of you who have children, you know they did something. You know they lied. But we want to set them up for success so hopefully they will own it. Does that make sense? We do this all the time, which is beautiful. That's how God loves on us. He's just loving on Adam right here, but we know what Adam does next. Let me keep reading. Um, and the man said, uh-oh, he opened his mouth. The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. So immediately he blamed the woman. He did not take that woman you gave me. See, it wasn't me. It wasn't my fault. He should have owned it at that point, but he didn't. And now we have a lot of issues because of that. And we'll go back to that in a minute. And the Lord God said unto the woman, what is, and now it's the woman's turn to own it. What is it, what is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, the serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. So the man blamed the woman. The woman blamed the serpent. So who took responsibility? No one. We all blamed somebody else. And I want you to remember this moment because near the, near the end, we're going to get to some mindsets that I believe a lot of people have, but it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. It goes back to blaming others for our issues. It goes back to because really we need to own it. And if we own it, I believe that's when God can help us to go in another direction. But if we keep saying, you know, it's not my fault, it's my neighbor's fault, it's my dog's fault, it's the, it's the, it's, it's the president's fault. See, it's his fault because this happened. Stop. That's all I can say. We just got to stop, take ownership, and allow God to just love on us. Because when we allow God to love on us, it's almost like, and the Lord showed me this years ago, okay, small rabbit trail. I was on the side of my house painting. And he said, Terry, if you reveal it to me, I can heal it. Because it's an act of our will to reveal to him our issues. Because if we say, you know, I have an issue with A, because I know I need to work on this. Well, just reveal it to God. He know it anyway. He know that we have those issues. But when we do that, we get vulnerable with God, and he can change our lives. Because that's what he wants to do. He wants to change us one, one instance at a time. So... Um, I was listening to a debate. I listen to a lot of debates because I love to hear debates 
because you get to hear all the different points of people. You get to hear, I like to hear from atheists because I want to know how to reach an atheist. I want to hear from somebody who's so different than I am so that I can hear the way they think. Because honestly, I don't think that way. So if I can get into their mind in some way to help me to understand them, it's going to help me to reach them even better. I think it just, it's going to make us more effective. Because if you think about it, if you only hang out with people who think just like you, is it going to change you a lot? Not really. It's just, you're going to just kind of, um, and it's good because you're motivating each other, but it's not going to challenge you to think outside of your box. It's good to be outside of our box. But anyway, this debate was with a, um, an atheist. His name was Sam Harris. I don't know if I heard of him. And a guy named Ben Shapiro, who is, he's Jewish. And Sam said, why are our thoughts and ideas essentially the same as far as family education and fatherhood he was just and he but he he was making an observation because they were talking about issues of family um, education he said why are our thoughts the same they're pretty much the same he was getting at another underlying conclusion but what Ben said who is this guy he was Jewish he said because we are both Americans and share over 3,000 years of Judeo-Christian foundation that's why our thoughts are the same see sometimes we have thoughts that we don't even know where they came from. But our thoughts came from a foundation that was already, maybe already there before we got here, if that makes sense. That's why I started off with, um, here at Congregation Bethan and I, we have a great foundation that we can share our thoughts. We can communicate. Is that, any, is that because of me? That's because of, at least at this congregation, because Rabbi Scott and Rabbi and Judy, they heard the call and they started this congregation and they're open enough to allow others to share. And they're open enough to allow me to sit here and share with you. If it wasn't for that, I wouldn't be sitting here sharing with you. We would not have that. So I think sometimes we say things, our thinking comes from someplace, and we may not even know where it comes from. So today what we're going to do, we're going to try to unpack some of those different types of thinking. At least that's the goal. It says, why should you follow God? Once you come to the realization that there is a supernatural being, then the next question is, what is next? That's that place of vulnerability. See, once you understand in your mind, you say, you know what? I do believe that there is a God. There is a supernatural being. Then I need to put in my mind, what do I do next? That is a place of vulnerability that we all need to be at and then be honest with it and be, be very intentional. I think Israel came to this point when they saw the ten plagues. Think about that. Visualize yourself as being a child in, in Israel. And they saw this plague. They saw the, the, the sea of reeds turn to blood. They saw the frog. They saw the locusts. Each one of them had to make a decision for themselves to say, wow, there truly is a supernatural being, if that makes sense. Uh, it's okay, again, not to know. The, the what is next is really important. This is the foundation of our faith. And I want to read this from the Humash. And this is the stone edition Humash. This is from the preface. I love reading before the reading. Because sometimes in the, the beginning of the certain text, it has certain foundational things that if you read it, it helps you to understand the whole book. Because they have like little 
um, nuances, little symbols they use. And if you miss that, you'll miss everything. That's why foundation is so important. So think of the day as like a foundational teaching. All right, this says the Torah is the eternal living monument of God's rendezvous with Israel. Visualize those plagues. The nation's raison d'etre, the soul that enables the nation to survive every trial. And if you can think fast forward, the Torah was given to Israel so they can know what to do, so they can know what's next. Did that change for us? No, it didn't change at all. Again, this is foundation. Whenever the Torah is read, Jews, this just says Jews, but I'm going to add to this, Jews and Gentiles relive the revelation at Sinai when our ancestors gathered around a lowly mountain and heard God speak to them. Just visualize, again, each one of those children or those young people that are outside. They see this mountain. They see all the things that's going on. They hear the, the commandments with their own ears. They're having to make, they have to make a decision for themselves like, wow, there's truly a God. There is truly an, a supernatural being that's outside of this world that's communicating with us. And all of us have to come to that position. Because if not, we're just, we're just going through the motions, right? And if we, if we want to own it, we have to say, you know what? I truly believe, if you're owning this, that God, and if whatever name you have for God, speaks to humanity. And if God speaks to humanity, what's next? What does he want me to do? Let me keep reading. As they did then, we seek to come closer to our maker by hearing his teachings. That's why we're here. That's why we read the scripture. That's why we read the Torah. And this is the part I want to focus on, rededicating ourselves to their fulfillment. How do we rededicate ourselves to the fulfillment of the scripture? All of us have to. Is this just something for the prophets? No. Was this just something for... This is for every individual on this planet that we have to rededicate ourselves. And we, not, we need to sometimes do this daily. Because think about all the different things that come into our minds throughout the day. We're watching TV. We're with our coworkers. We're with our family. And those things, what do those things do? Sometimes they pull us away. They pull us away and say, you know what, maybe my focus should be on mathematics. I love math. I just had to throw that out there. Maybe my focus should be on um, science. Maybe it should be on my truck driving career. Maybe it should be on whatever. But no, our focus should be on learning who God is. And out of that, we have our careers. We have different things that we need to do because we need to function in a society with everyone else, if that makes sense. And as we function in a society with everyone else, we get the opportunity to share. And that's foundation. Dedicating our lives to their fulfillment. And again, this is the what's next. And this is a Hebrew word. I'm trying to learn a little Hebrew. Kolashir debir Adonai, debir Adonai, naaseh vanishma. All that God has said we will do and we will obey. These are the words that Israel proclaimed after they knew that he was God, if that makes sense. They said, all that God has said we will do and we will obey. This was before they really knew what they were saying. I think. I think they were just saying it. And they, but we do the same thing. How many of us have made commitments to things and we really didn't know what we were getting ourselves into? I just raised both hands on that one, okay? Teaching. 
When I first started teaching, I didn't know what in the world. Matter of fact, when I first started teaching, I was student teaching for all of a week. And the principal came to me and said, hey, Mr. Farrell, um, a job just opened up. Would you like the position? I was like, hmm, let me think about it. I'll teach for free or I'll get paid. Okay, I'll take the money. Thank you. You know, but that was my, that's how I started. And I was clueless. I didn't know what I was getting myself into. And I still, I'm still learning. And I think all of us are that way with things. So when we look at Israel, when they say, all that you said God will do and obey, they probably didn't know, but they were saying, which is the logical thing to say if you just saw the creator do all these different things. You saw all those ten plagues. You heard him speak to you. What else are you going to say? No, I'm not going to do that. No, that's foolish. I know that God speaks to humanity, so now I know I'm going to do everything as much as I can to do everything that he says for me to do. Let me keep going. Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel describes Judaism as not a leap of faith, but as a leap of action. He was convinced that one should first observe all the mitzvot, or at least all the ones that are possible, and then understand, and meaning would come later. As he put it, a person is asked to do more than he understands in order to understand more than he does. In other words, performing each mitzvot opens a door to greater insight and more meaningful living. But this requires action. How can a person truly comprehend a sacred obligation by looking at it from the outside? It's kind of like, I love playing basketball, but I can't just sit back and read about playing basketball. I can't just watch games. Man, you, I saw that game last night. Give me a basketball. I probably might not know what I'm doing. You get the point? It's like we hear the teaching, but then we have to do it. That's why we need to practice his presence. We need to practice talking to people. Because when you're explaining things, you're practicing. You may not say that, but you're, trying, you're explaining things, you're practicing. And it's okay if you mess up. That's just the way it is. Nobody gets angry with somebody who's practicing basketball like, you missed a shot again. You're going to miss a lot of shots. You're going to shoot maybe a thousand times. You may hit one. I hope you do better than that. But you get the point, right? But that's the way it is with our faith. We need to practice his presence. We need to be honest enough to practice his presence. We need to talk to people about the scripture. We need to talk to somebody who's not like us. So we need to push ourselves, maybe move out of our box, maybe into a place that we're uncomfortable. Nobody likes feeling uncomfortable, right? We want to feel comfortable. We want to stay in our little box. I'm over here. Leave me alone. I'm cool. Get away from me. But sometimes we need to be, con confrontations help us to grow. We need confrontations. Matter of fact, I probably, I, matter of fact, I was one of the worst that hated, hated, hated confrontations. I would run away from it like the plague. But you know what? I love it now because I know that it's going to help me to grow. I love it when someone asks me questions that I am clueless on the answer. You know why? Because I know, because I, I love God so much, that he always gives me the answer. Always. It comes in. Sometimes it comes. I'm not even thinking about it. I'm walking along, and the answer will come through a child. I go, wow, that was God. Thank you. Where would that come from? It came from here. And I think if we, it's like we're pressing in to know him more and more. We're walking with him. We're practicing his presence. And as we continue to do that, we continue to grow. And if we don't do that, then we're just stagnant. And I'm not saying it's it is, I say it is bad, but we need to continue to grow so that we can better our lives, if that makes sense. Let me keep reading. How can we understand the meaning of the dietary laws without abiding by them? How can we comprehend the purpose of Shabbat without keeping Shabbat? 
while we may not agree with Heschel's, Rabbi Heschel's, um, commitment to all of the Jewish law, we can learn from his leap of action and try a few leaps of our own. And like I said earlier, I think I said it last week, but I'm not trying to be Jewish. I am not trying to be Jewish. I think Jewish, I think it's awesome to learn from Jews. I am trying to be Godish. I love that because that just shows I want to walk with God. Some things that are Jewish are I don't agree with it at all. I think it's crazy. Some of those commentaries, like I told you, I think some of the rabbis were kind of drunk. Okay? They were drinking something when they read. But sometimes when you read it, it's, it might be that I don't understand where they're coming from, if that makes sense. That's why sometimes we're just, we just learning. You've got to listen and go, okay, great, yeah. We're going to just set that one on the shelf. Let it stay there, maybe the rest of my life. But again, we're just learning. All right, let me keep reading. While we may not agree with Heschel's comments of, I read that one, we might, we might take on the challenge of keeping kosher for a particular amount of time as a way to study the dietary laws or try observing the laws of Shabbat in order to explore how we might keep Sabbath. And in the spirit of reform Judaism, and I got this from an article online, we can be flexible in the ways that we fulfill these mitzvot, drawing on the traditional halakha, the Jewish law, regarding these commandments, but also thinking creatively about how to perform them meaningfully. In these ways, we link the doing and the studying. And from that first statement, I said the na'aseh, the vanishma. Remember the, the Hebrew words, the na'aseh, vanishma. They say all, that we say, all that you said, we will do and obey, even though they may not have known what they were saying. They just said, we're going to do it, God. Everything you tell us to do, we're going to do. You know, they, Wait a minute. What, did I, what am I saying? I didn't mean it, but it comes out. All right, let's talk about the synagogue. The synagogue, we are in a synagogue. The synagogue is a concession that we cannot do the korban offerings anymore. And this is important to the mindsets I'm trying to get at. This is just foundation. From 1446, approximately, if you look at the Jewish timeline, um, that was Mount Sinai, 1446, about. And we know what happened at Mount Sinai. That was the giving of the commandments. That was the giving of the Torah. And this was also the beginning of the Korban offerings in the, in, the, um, in the tabernacle. It was the beginning of the offerings. How often did they do the Korban offerings in the tabernacle? Every day. They did a Korban. They had a morning offering, which was called the, they called it the Shakarit which is, corresponds to our shakarit prayer, for those of you who pray three times a day. And they had the minka offering, which was like an evening offering. But they did this every single day. They did this from 1446 until about 605 um, B.C. That's over 800 years. Every single day, an offering. Do you think they were serious about their faith? It's not even a question. I if you think of 800 years, the United States has been in existence, I had to hear, um, somewhere. I think it was like, the United States has been, I'm not going to do the math, it was like over 200 years, but the United States, if you visualize this 800-year span, it's about three times the United States have been in existence. That's how long they did the Korban offering every single day. I'm just, I want to just show that that was so serious that I don't think we understand how serious it was as, as far as the offering. 
All right, let me keep going back. All right, the Ola to me offering in the morning, which was the Shakari prayers, the Ola to me offering, which correspond to the Minka prayers, that was the evening, and the clean of ash duty was the Marv prayer. This continued until two years into Nebuchadnezzar's siege, which also corresponds to 17th of Tammuz. That's a holiday that we celebrate around here. Um, and and th at this time, so this continued to two years into Nebuchadnezzar's siege on Jerusalem, and then about 90% of the Jews were carried off to Babylon. Again, that was about 605, 597, or 586 B.C. Again, over eight, 800 years. There was a place in the temple for everybody. The temple wasn't just for the Jews. The temple was for Gentiles. Gentile just means non-Jew. That's all it means. But there was a place in the temple for everyone. So that meant God was loving on humanity through the Jewish people. That's how he intended it. That's why it's so important to learn Jewish ways because we're just learning how God was doing things. That's why it's so important to learn the history. That's why it's so important to learn the prayers because even embedded in the prayers, embedded in the Mishnah, embedded in the Talmud is so much history. It's history in there as we read it. It's not a history book, but you can extrapolate history out of it, if that makes sense. That's so important. And I think of my family. How far back does my family history go? Maybe two generations that I know of. Obviously, it goes back farther than that, but that I know of maybe two generations. But most Jews can take their family history back to, wow. I mean, that's amazing. Just to my brain, I it just my family is not that way. And that's why it's so important to learn from people who've been following this all their lives. That's why it's so important. We should never take it for granted. Um, just, just thinking of temple worship, um, let's say you have a baby today. You're like, what? Anyway, you want to bring a Thanksgiving offering because you just had a baby. And the temple is there. So what do you do? You bring an offering. You're like, no. <laughs> Sorry about that baby. Maybe I should have said something else. Okay, all right. Okay, you're thankful for some event in your life, and you want to bring a Thanksgiving offering. When can you bring it to the temple? Right now. You take it to the temple, and you give your offering because you're so grateful that you were able, that you had a baby. That makes sense. All right, Gedalia, um, another figure. Gedalia and Jeremiah stayed back in Jerusalem with Nebuchadnezzar to try to negotiate with Nebuchadnezzar because remember, um, at this time, the Jews were, 90% of them were taken off into Babylon with the siege. But there were some that stayed back. It was about 10% of them that stayed back. Jeremiah was one of the prophets that stayed back, and also Gedaliah. And Gedaliah, again, Gedaliah and Jeremiah stayed back in Jerusalem with Nebuchadnezzar, and they stayed back to try to negotiate. But Gedaliah wasn't of the right political party, and he was assassinated. And we have a fast between, of, it's called the Fast of Gedalia, and it's between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Anybody heard of the Fast of Gedalia? Anybody? No? Well, I'm glad I made that statement. That was good. But anyway, it's a fast day that some people recognize. You should look it up. But it's called the Fast of Gedalia. But anyway, he was just, he was assassinated by his own people. He was assassinated by other Jews. It was an internal issue. All right. Some of the people, they went to Egypt. We stand and say the Amidah, they would have been standing to 
for the korban offering. So I want you to visualize the worship. The worship, when we do our Amidah, we say the Amidah is a standing prayer, right? Or the silent prayer. They would have been standing because the korban offering was going on. That's why they would have been standing. And that's the pattern in a synagogue. See, that's what makes a synagogue different than a church. It's completely different. A, a synagogue is patterned after the tabernacle. A church is not. And I'm not saying a church is bad. I'm just saying it's just not patterned after the tab The prayers that we do, the Amidah, the Barku, which is what? The call to worship. That's what they would do in the temple. So we just follow in the same pattern. Only thing that we can't do is actually do the offering. But everything else we can do. Why can we not do the offering? Because we're not in Jerusalem. Because he said to make an offering in a place that I will tell you. He told you a specific place that we would do this offering. All right. Now, I want you to visualize. All right. The, when they were in Babylon, think about the tax that they had. They had a monumental task in Babylon. We have Jews, about 90% of them, and they're in Babylon right now, and they don't have a temple. What are they going to do? They were at a point where they could not keep all of the commandments. The Ansei, Knesset, Hagadol, which are the men of the great assembly, and the men that were on the great, some of them, they were men like Haggai, Zechariah, Mordecai, but there were 120 men of the Ansei Knesset Haggadol, and the question was, what do we do? We can't keep all the commandments. And this is, I've read almost all of this to get to this point. We should do all that we can do. That's a big deal. We should do all that we, is it possible to keep every single commandment? We know it's not. Do we think God knows that? Yes. See, some people in their theology they say, you know what, you can't keep all the commandments, so why even try? That's ridiculous. God knows that we can't keep, he knew that, he knows our, he understands our humanity. He understands that. That's why we always do everything that you can do. The scripture says three times a year, every male is supposed to be in Jerusalem. I have never been to Jerusalem. So I am not keeping that commandment. Do I want to go to Jerusalem? Absolutely. So I'll do the next best thing. I'll go to my local synagogue, and then I can do the best that I can do. How many of y'all walked here to congregation? Just thought I'd throw that out. Not one of us. Did anybody walk here? As soon as I say that, somebody's going to be like, I walked right here, man. No. None of us walked. Okay. According to Halakha, again, there's so many things that we could go through one at a time, and none of us are keeping all the commandments. I think it's almost... Not almost, it's, it's very arrogant to even think that you can keep all the commandments. We're just not. We're just doing the best that we can. And that's the task that they had with the Ansei Knesset Haggadol is what do we do? You do the best that you can. And that's when the synagogue was born. The synagogue was born out of that. It was a concession that we can't keep the, the offerings every day, so we're going to do the best that we can. All right, now that we've established, oh, let me read this. Later, Ezra, Ezra found the Torah. And this is another topic, but we won't go there. But Ezra found the Torah after years it had been lost. And I looked at that, I was like, why, how could the Torah have been lost? But think of today. Most Jews are not religious. So to most Jews, the Torah is kind of lost. 
because they don't know who God is. So in their minds, it is loss. It is. So I equate this to now for some, not all. I'm believing for Jews to find their Torah and begin living and teaching it. That's what I'm believing. I'm believing that Jews, more Jews will begin to say, you know what, this is my Torah. This is my family history, and I'm going to find it. See, the scripture says that we are supposed to be making those Jews jealous. It's like a Gentile is doing Jewish things. That's how we make them jealous. Can another Jew make another? Not really. It doesn't make sense because they're Jews. They kind of expect that. But who's going to make the Jews jealous? We are. When we're doing those Jewish things because that's what God told us to do. And that's how we're going to make them jealous. And that's why we need to pray for those Jews to pick up that Torah and run with it. Say, come on, man. Let's go. This is your Bible. This is your scripture. This is your Messiah. So you need to run with it. I love you, though. There you go. Anyway, all right. Now that we've established, if you believe that there is a God, what's next? We have some choices. We have a multiple choice test here. We have A, B, C, and D. I couldn't help it. All right. Choice A is... Do what you can, but don't get too serious. The Bible, the Torah are great inspirational books. What do you think? May, I'm just joking. All right. Do you think the men of the great assembly, the Anse, Knesset, Haggadol, were serious? Yes. Do you think Paul was serious? Yes. Do you think Noah was serious? Yes. You think they were serious after 800 years of keeping the, um, the Korban offering every single day? I think they were a little serious. So should we be serious about keeping and fulfilling his word? Yes. This should not be just something to do. Anyway, I'm, I'm telling you the answer. I shouldn't. All right, that was choice A. Choice B, don't try to keep the commandments at all because you can't keep them all anyway. This was not the position of any person that I've ever read about in Scripture. But if you want to keep that choice, then that's fine. But that's choice B. Choice C, do all that you can do in keeping the commandments. Be intentional in your actions. Okay, it's a loaded question. Always choose C, right? Because C is normally the right answer. Yeah. The longest one, it kind of looks like it makes sense. All right. Maybe, yeah. All right, and choice D. Don't believe there is a God and just figure life out without God. Sound like a great idea? No. Okay, that's a bad idea. And Deuteronomy 30, 19, if we don't even know the answer... They tell us the answer. God is awesome that way. He said, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, if you don't know what to choose, choose life. It's like God gave us this question, these questions, and he told us the answer. And if we fail that test, then guess whose fault it is? It's our own fault. But again, we need to love on people enough to share with people. You know, we can't, we just need love on people. All right, next topic. You are a spiritual being, and you live in a body and possess a soul. And your soul is your mind, will, and emotions. Let's read Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. And we're going to read from the Bible. If you have your Bible. It's the turning of pages in the morning. And good morning for everyone else who came in. It's an awesome day. It's actually really nice outside. How long is this going to last? We're going to, hopefully. For ducks? Ducks? 
Oh, okay. Okay. It reminds me of Germany. It, it kind of has that looks like it's going to rain all the time. It's like it's getting ready to rain. Germany looks like this all the time. We were stationed over there. It just looks like it's going to rain. It could be hot outside, but it looked like it's going to pour down. But that's kind of like I think it's, I've never been there. But I, th I think it's this way in like Washington State. I've heard. I haven't been there. You've been in Seattle. And London is the same way. All right, Genesis 126 says, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth on the earth. And what I wanted to get out of that is we are made in the likeness and image of God. We are created in his image. There's some translation, which is not here, that says he created another speaking spirit. Think about that, another speaking spirit. How do we communicate with God? We communicate with God through our spirit, who we are, not through our mind. Our mind is, our, our mind is important because we're going to talk about that. That's our, our will, our emotions, our thoughts, but we communicate with God through our spirit because that's who we are. That's our true self. Let's read 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. Uh, yeah, 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. All right, it says, But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. See, God looks at us, See, we, we're see, we just seeing each other's earth suit. Because we all got earth suits. They got different, you got tall earth suits, short earth suits. You got all different color earth suits. You know, but God is looking at our spirit. Because that's who we are. That's our true self. Let's read Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26. And I've been trying lately... To actually, because I, I can get spoiled, and some of y'all are probably spoiled too, um, to Ezekiel 36, verse 26. To actually pick up a Bible, because, I mean, I, I do Bible study all the time, but I'm so used to using the computer. You know, I'm clicking this. I love BibleGateway.com, trust me, I love it. But it's nice to actually pick up a book. Some of our teenagers are like, no, we don't like books. Books are your friend, okay? Books are cool. Ezekiel 36. All right, another one of my favorite. I have a lot of favorite scriptures. All right, a new heart also I will give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. Isn't that beautiful? To me, it's almost like God gave us, when you make uh, the Messiah, when you make him Lord, he gives you a megaphone. That's how I think of it. So now you can hear him even better. Because I believe God speaks to sinners. Matter of fact, I know that because I, re I, I remember, okay? <laughs> God speaks to sinners. God speaks to you 
even if you're in that worst place that you didn't know you were supposed to be in. He's speaking, but sometimes it's just hard to hear him. But I believe when you're born again, you can just hear him more clearly. It's like, wow, God, I, I hear your voice. I hear you better. And as we practice his presence, we hear him even better because you're recognizing him. You understand, oh, that's God speaking to me. Oh, I see that. I understand where this is coming from. And this only comes through being very intentional one step at a time. It's not something that just comes on us like, okay, you got it now. That's a lie. That is just a lie. When you're born again, everything just became new. No, your mind is the same. Okay? If you were cussing before you got saved, by five minutes after you got saved, you're probably still cussing. Right? Am I telling the truth? Yes. But that means what has to come next? Romans 12, 2. It says, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, that's where the work comes in. That's when I got to go and start to develop myself. That's when you got to go to congregation, go to a church, go someplace to develop your mind so that you can be better. If not, it's our own fault. Sure, you're saved. You can be walking with the Lord. I get that. But it's so much better when you start to change your mindset, and it just helps out. And here I said we connect with God because we are made in his image. And now that we're connected to God, how does God want us to think? How does God want us to think? So way back when, I started with, first I need to know that he's a supernatural being. Once I understand that, now I need to know, how does God want me to think? How do I communicate with him? What do I do? How do I do that? And thinking, this is my favorite definition, very simple. Thinking that does not blindly accept conclusions or arguments. Let me read that again. Our thinking should be thinking that does not blindly accept conclusions or arguments. Because we do this sometimes all day. Not the teenagers, because they're ready to fight in like five seconds. Just be honest. All right, not just teenagers, adults too. When I say ready to fight, I'm okay with counter-arguments. Because that means you're thinking. If you're just around somebody and they always agree with everything you say, they're probably not, sometimes I like to throw something out that's just wrong. I do that on purpose sometimes in the classroom. I just throw something out that's just a complete lie and just start working on it, and then they just go on with it, like, yeah, y'all don't even think about what I'm saying. I could be telling you a lie. I'm throwing something at you. But it's good to do that because we need to be thinking and paying attention to our surroundings because things happen all the time. If we're not thinking, we're just letting stuff happen to us. Um, these are some different ways of thinking. Oh, I forgot to cue up my music. All right, never mind. Um, sorry. How you think is the direction that your actions will go in. How you think is the direction your actions will go in, period. All right, this is a quote. Man was born free, and he is everywhere in chains. Do you agree with that? Rousseau, that's, that's who said it. Another quote. Workers of the world unite. You have nothing to lose but your change. Chains. Karl Marx said that. Do we agree with that? Try and throw it out there. Loaded questions, loaded all over the place. Anyway, all right. Pink Floyd got a song. I was looking for the song. We're gonna sing it. Y'all ready to sing it? Don't be afraid. Dad, look at me like, don't be afraid. Ready? We don't need no education. Mm. Y'all remember that song? What's the next verse? We don't need no thought control. Y'all remember that? I'm getting into some thinking. Oh, let me, uh, no dark sarcasm 
in the classroom. It's some thinking. The next part is, teacher, leave those kids alone. Anybody remember that? The next part is goes, dum. You hear the music? Hey, teachers, leave them kids alone. I will right, leave that alone. All right, sorry. But, but what is this doing to our thinking? Do you think that's training our thinking? Do you think that's a mindset? Yes, that is a mind. What I read to you, I think, and what we have to do is change our thinking to God's thinking. Because we were developed in this world with thinking that's contrary to God. It's that simple. And how do we do that? By getting into his word. I got a poem that I want to read, and I read it last time, but I wanted to put it up here. Um, if you think you're beat, you are. If you think you dare not, you won't. If you'd like to win, but don't think you can't, it's almost a sense you won't. If you think you'll lose, then you've lost. For out in the world, you'll find that success begins with the fellow's will. It's all in a state of mind. If you think you're outclassed, you are. You've got to think higher to rise. You've got to be sure of yourself before you can win a prize. Think, okay, I memorize it a little way. Think big and your deeds will grow. Think small and you'll fall behind. Think that you can and you will. It's all in a state of mind. Life's battles don't always go to the bigger, stronger, faster man, but the fellow who wins is the one who thinks he can. For as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. You've got to be strong to survive. You've got to be sure of yourself before you can win a prize. And I memorized this years ago because I know that I have to change the way I think. And it comes from the scripture. This is Proverbs 23, 7 in a poem form. It says, for as he, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, saith he to thee, but his heart is not with thee. Another version, for, it, for as he thinks within himself, so is he. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. Have you ever been... And we've done it ourselves. You're thinking one thing, and you say something completely different because maybe you're pressured. Does that make sense? That's why our thinking is more important than what we say because sometimes we say things out of our mouth that's just crazy because maybe you're hungry. Like um, Daphne always tells me, you're not yourself when you're hungry. You're right. I'm not. <laughs> I'm just not. <laughs> you know, she's like, just give him some food. Okay, he'll be all right. Slide it to him. Okay, I'm better now. But we're all that way. There's certain things that push our buttons, and we may say things that we shouldn't say. And that's just life. That's just who we are. And what I wanted to talk about was these are different ways. Can y'all see that? Yep. These are different ways that people think. And I know we're not going to get through all of these, so you have homework. But this, again, these are just different ways that we think about the world. And what we need to do as thinking people, because we don't accept blindly thoughts, right? We don't accept them just because we, someone said it on the news or it's on the Internet. And we go, oh, yeah, they, they got a nice suit on. They sound like they know what they're talking about. So that must be true, right? No, okay? You will will sell you anything if you have that idea. We need to be thinking people, and we need to take it and judge it with the word of God, period. And we need to do this for the rest of our lives. This is not something that just happens. We think, oh, I just got it like that. No, you're going to continue to do this all the time. You're going to keep, keep feeding on this word all the time. Anyway, let's start with, uh, we'll get through as many as we can. Um, this first one is called a constrained vision. And there's a, 
he's an economist. I love reading economists. I don't know if anybody does that. But anyway, they have another perspective on the world. Honestly, they just think of the world in terms of finances, in, in terms of money. And sometimes when you do that, it helps you to see things that you probably wouldn't have seen if you didn't see it through their eyes. Okay, anyway, the constrained vision. What's that? Those with a constrained vision see certain physical, moral, or spiritual realities as unchangeable. Scarcity. What is scarcity? We're going to economics. Lack. I like lack, yes. Um, scarcity is we don't have an unlimited resource. Let me read the definition here. In economic scarcity refers to limitations, limited goods or services, limited time, limited abilities to achieve the desired end. I mean, we don't, it's just not unlimited. I don't care who you are, if you're our president of the United States, he does not have an unlimited amount of resources. He got way more than I do, okay? <laughs> but he does not, none of us have an unlimited amount of resources. That's just life. I'm going to keep reading this. Scarcity, self-interest, human fallibility, and evil. This doesn't make the constrained vision a pessimistic, pessimistic one. But simply to quote the great economist Peter Botek, may I pronounce that wrong, puts parameters on utopias. Because sometimes we have a utopia is like a vision of the world that everything is perfect. It's like everything is going to be this way and it's just not, the, it's just, if you've lived longer than like a day, you figured out, hopefully, that the world is not going to be perfect that way. It's just not. Anyway, this is the constrained vision. You can improve the world only by first understanding the fundamental flaws, laws of both material and human nature. You can achieve flight by wishing away gravity or achieve human harmony by wishing away greed. Oh, let me read that again because that didn't come out right. You can't. You cannot achieve flight by wishing away gravity. You can go out there and try to jump all you want, jump off the top of this building. Guess what's going to happen? Gravity's going to work. I don't believe in gravity. I'm dead. Okay. Splat. Okay. And, but those are the constraints on our world. And it's okay to understand that we have constraints so we can learn how to work with it. Think about it in here. We have constraints with our seating. Right? You can't just sit anywhere you want to in here. Some of y'all are like, yeah, I can. I can sit where I want. I'm going to do what I want to. Some of y'all get in. Don't do that, okay? But we have constraints everywhere that we go. Constraints are a good thing. We have constraints on our humanity. Do we have constraints? There's just a certain amount of things that I just can't do. As much as I love basketball, I'm probably not going to the NBA. You know, don't doubt my, don't, don't doubt my abilities. Anyway, I'm, I'm not going to the NBA, okay? But again, I think in life there's a certain amount of constraints that we all have, and that's okay, and it's good to understand those constraints. That's the constrained vision. And these were um, by economists. Um, his name was uh, Thomas Sowell. We have two minutes. We need to stretch two minutes. We need to put two Anyway, I'm just joking. All right, unconstrained vision. Those with an unconstrained vision see everything as perfectible. We can eliminate scarcity. This is very different than simply having an abundance of stuff, as it assumes time and choice can also be eliminated. We can remake man into a perfect version. We can stop playing by old stuffy rules and simply rebuild a society without greed. Think that's possible? No. I don't think it's ever going to be possible. If humans are flawed, 
we can remake humans. Instead of forming social orders that, make, make work, that, that work around the flaws. Let me read that again. If humans are flawed, we can remake humans instead of forming social orders that work around the flaws. See the difference? One is a constrained vision, one is an unconstrained vision. We don't need institutions that channel bad desires to good outcomes. We simply need to remove bad desires. And again, and, and this, is, this is where we're going to close. These are just different ways of thinking about life. And have you ever been in a conversation with someone and you disagreed and you really didn't know why you disagreed? It might be because there's an underlying vision that they have that's completely different than yours. It's not bad. It's just it is. And we need to understand that because that's going to help us to have better conversation with people. Because if you try to, because sometimes we try to relate to people on our level and they're not going to even hear what you're saying because they have a different vision than you have. So if I can do my due diligence to see where they're coming from, then I can somehow try to get into their mind, maybe to help them, or maybe they're going to help me. But the point is, I need to understand that there are different visions. And this happens to us all the time. So, well, amen. I think this is where we're going to end. Oh, I want to read this at least. Uh, Matthew 26, 11, because some believe that, you know what, one day we're going to have a world where there is no poor, where there are no people that are starving. Do you believe that? Well, Matthew 26, 11, see, we have conflicting visions right here. I love it. It's beautiful. Anyway, I was joking. All right. Matthew 26, 11 says, for you always have the poor with you. He said always. Always means always. But again, this is the, the thinking that comes from the scripture. See, again, our thinking, to be honest, is just messed up because we need help. Do we understand that? Some of you now, I don't need, okay, do you need help? The knowing that you need help. We all need help changing our thinking. And that's just the way it is because before we were born again, even after we're born again, we're bombarded with so many different ways of thinking. So just think about going to the store. I like those, are those things when, you, when you're going, you're trying to walk out the store. What do you have right beside you as you're leaving? Candy. Candy. I like, those are called, I like to call them distractors. You got the chips right here. You got Crazy Magazine. You try, what in the world they got? Oh, my goodness. Why did they put that over here? You got this right here. You know what I'm saying? You got something behind you saying something crazy or something, whatever. But my point is, we are always bombarded with stuff. And it's what we choose to attend to will help us to change our mindset. And, and who's going to do this for us? We have to do it. That's why the scripture says that we we need to develop and change our minds with God. God, we're, we speak to God through his spirit, through, through the spirit. That's how we connect with God. But we, we must develop our own minds because God made us free moral agents, and we have to do that ourselves. Amen. I think we're out of time, so great place to, oh, let's say the, the ending blessing. Oh, I did want to read this last statement. I, I got to read this statement. I got to. This is, I got to read this one. All right. This says, hard work wins. You get out of life what you put into it. You can't control the outcome, but you are 100% in control of the effort. And before blaming other people to the near, and before blaming other people, go to the nearest mirror and ask yourself, what have I done to change the outcome? 
See, it all started in the Garden of Eden when who started blaming each other? Adam and Eve. That's why I'm going all the way back to the Garden. It started in the beginning. It didn't start with Marxism, even though Marxism is a negative way of thinking that we didn't have time to go there. It didn't start with socialism. It started all the way back in the Garden of Eden. So who's in all that? The enemy. The enemy is behind all of that. That is the vision of the enemy to get into our thinking and mess us up. And we need to see him for what he is like. I, I got you. I see you, enemy. I'm calling you out. I see you. I see your plan. I'm not going to let you get to me. I'm not going to let you get to anybody that's around me because I'm going to do what I can to help them. Pull them out. Amen? All right. This time we're finished for real. All right. Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Natanlanu Torah Imet, Bakaye Olam Natah Betukenu, Baruch Adonai, Notain HaTorah. Blessed art thou, Lord our God, King of the universe, who gave us the Torah of truth and set everlasting life in our midst. Blessed art thou, O Lord, giver of the Torah. Amen. Thank you very much.